Girlfriends, episode number 32. How to say sorry like you mean it. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom, and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. So what are we waiting for? Let's get started. Hey, girlfriends, how are you doing? I'm recording this on a Sunday night where it's um, not the best weather, and I'm hoping to squeeze this in and then squeeze a run in. So wish me luck. Here goes. So this week, we're talking about the art of the apology, which really, truly, we need to call it a lost art because it is, isn't it? When's the last time someone gave you a good apology? When's the last time you gave someone else a good apology? (laughs) I think in this world, especially where we follow celebrities and politicians who are always messing up in major ways on large screens in front of our faces, and then we hear the apologies afterwards, we hear the I'm sorry's afterwards for their bad behavior, we get a little jaded because we're hearing so many apologies, and in my opinion, we're hearing a lot of bad apologies, um, not really ones that are meant, not really ones that are felt. And so I think maybe we, we roll our eyes a bit about the idea of an apology. And um, I heard from a few of you after uh, my episode, Hurt People, Hurt People, talking about asking for forgiveness, talking about offering forgiveness to others when you're holding on to anger and resentment inside of your heart. And um, there really is such peace and healing to come from that process of apologizing for some wrong that you have done, even if it's years later, or receiving that apology, receiving that request for forgiveness, that asking for mercy, and then being that means of mercy to another person. There's such great grace and peace and hope and healing that can come from that process that it really is something that we should talk about. How the heck do you apologize? And, you know, I think a lot of us experience this, certainly as kids growing up, that, and I even, I'm guilty of doing it with my kids, where I'm like, say you're sorry. And you force the kid to say, sorry, even though they're rolling their eyes and they don't mean it or whatever. But that's a starting place. It's at least a practicing place for forcing someone to recognize that something they did was wrong. But then when you're in adult relationships, grown-up relationships, in these relationships yourself, maybe needing to ask for forgiveness yourself, some of us don't know how to do that. And, you know, this is something I've definitely experienced, especially inside of my marriage, where I went for years, like, keeping track of every apology I ever received from Dan and kind of evaluating it and withholding apologies on my end. Like, my pride was so wrapped up in such petty things sometimes I'm embarrassed when I think back on it. And not that I'm perfect now, but I think I had a real level of immaturity in our relationship, especially early on, especially with regard to disagreements where I would, you know, hold on to resentments over things he said or did and think his apology wasn't quite right or he never did apologize, but, um, you know, would, would try to make up in other ways and just kind of being stingy with my forgiveness and mercy that way. and But then on the other end, not being humbly apologetic myself. Those have been some of the hardest things that I've had to force myself to do is to say I'm sorry in a sincere way, especially to my own husband, to admit something was my fault. I did something wrong. I was neglectful. I was inconsiderate. I deliberately chose something that hurt you. Really hard to admit, really hard. I think that's where real relationship growth happens, though, is in 
teaching ourselves to do that, learning that process. And the thing that encouraged me the most was seeing what good fruit came from doing that, that I could completely diffuse a situation by offering a sincere apology and nothing else. See, that's the thing. That's what I want to talk about today. Because I did hear from people saying, how do you do it? What do you think is a good apology? Or um, I heard from one woman who asked me not to share her name, but she was in an argument with her sister over a long period of time and had offered an apology, but her sister didn't accept it. And now what does she do? How does she, how does she go about healing this relationship, mending this relationship? And my number one thing that I tell people, including myself, like I said, I'm working on this too, is to avoid fake apologies. So what do I mean by that? There are like three different kinds of fake apologies that I'm aware of. Maybe you know more. I'd love to hear from you. Email me, danielle at daniellebean.com. Tell me about fake apologies that you've received. And now maybe this is mean. Maybe this is me being a perfectionist, but I don't like when apologies are qualified. So fake apology number one would be like this. I am sorry if you were offended. Or I am sorry if I did something wrong. Okay, what's wrong here? (laughs) The person is not admitting they did anything wrong. Or what they're trying to say is that the problem is that you were offended by what they did, not with anything on their behavior. So, you know, the translation here is, I didn't do anything wrong. And I'm only saying sorry, because you're upset. And I have to say this in order to get things back how they were. Well, you know, I guess there's some merit to that in that the person is is looking to improve the relationship in some way, but that's not a real apology. A real apology is admitting guilt on your part, is admitting your fault. So don't say, I'm sorry, if. If you find yourself saying that, and I know it's hard to make a sincere apology. It's very humbling. It's humiliating sometimes. We don't like to do it. And so that's why we try to throw words like if in there. But it ruins the whole thing. It negates the value of it almost completely, in my opinion, if someone says, I'm sorry if you were offended, or I'm sorry if I did something wrong. So avoid it. Just say, I'm sorry, and state the thing that you did that was wrong. The second kind of fake apology that I think we should avoid in all of our relationships is another little word, not if, but but, right? This is fake apology number two. I am sorry, but, and then they list the things that you did wrong. Now, this one I have been an expert at, especially over the course of my marriage, where, you know, I'm sorry, or sometimes this is this is terrible. I would apologize to poor Dan for whatever it was that he thought I did wrong. I would, you know, swallow my pride and say, I'm sorry, I did this. And then I would wait for his apology, right? Because... <laughs> He did bad stuff too. And if he didn't apologize, I would get furious. Like, so how sincere was my apology, really? You know, how focused on my own faults was I if I'm waiting for him to do his part? And of course, inside of a relationship, you know, we we all have good goodness and we all do bad things. We all need to apologize for things. And every disagreement, especially the ugly ones, are usually through the willing participation of both parties and both have something to do with it, something that they need to apologize for. Yes, that's true. But if you're really looking to heal a relationship, you know, focus on what you did wrong. Focus on you. Focus on fixing yourself, not fixing the other person and being humble. The times in which I've been most successful at doing this is when I I really pray about it and I ask God to give me a right heart about it. And I remember how Jesus forgives all of us. Me, I, I remember some of my, you know, worst sins. I'll remind myself of some of my worst sins and the ways in which Jesus has just willingly forgiven me. 
not raked me over the coals for any of it, just offered me that undeserved blessing and gift of mercy and forgiveness, especially through the sacrament of reconciliation. So when you're tempted to apologize, but also require the other person to recognize their faults at the same time. Yes, that can be very healing if you apologize and the other person does, but sometimes they just don't have that perspective. And if you do need to address those things, do it in a separate conversation. Don't do it as part of your apology because it negates your apology. The translation is, I did some bad stuff, but other people did bad stuff too, including you. It's not really my fault. I'm a victim. You may not think that's fair, but that's how the other person is going to hear what you're saying. And think about hearing that from somebody. Think about being genuinely wounded by something somebody has done or said to you, and they come and they tell you, I'm sorry, but, and then they list all of your faults. They list all of their reasons why they needed to do what they did. Well, it feels like they're justifying what they did and that they're not actually sorry. That's a legitimate way to read that situation. So don't do that. If you want to give an apology, don't add the if and don't add the but. The other non-apology apology apology that I want to mention is one that we hear all the time in the news cycle. Mistakes were made. (laughs) Now, maybe you're, you're not using exactly that phrase inside of your personal relationships, but are you using that attitude toward the things that you have actively done? Are you turning it into the passive voice and not naming yourself as someone who did something wrong? You know, sometimes I think we're tempted to be um, less than clear with ourselves and with the people that we're attempting to apologize to. We might say like, you know, just the general gist of what we're saying is, well, some bad stuff happened. Um, You know, I'm sorry this happened. Um, Kind of the, the general idea behind our attitude is I have no idea who might be responsible for any of it, but I don't like that this has happened kind of thing. How about just say you're sorry instead? The person doesn't want to hear mistakes were made. They don't want that attitude coming from you. Because if they're hurt, if they're feeling hurt by something you've said or done, they they don't want to hear you not take responsibility for it. You have to take responsibility for it. You have to use the active voice. You have to say you're sorry and name what you're sorry for. So those are the three fake apologies I want to mention that I'm sorry if I'm sorry, but, and then the passive voice mistakes were made kind of approach to an apology. But I want to talk about how you can actually, you know, walk you through how you actually make a good apology. And this is, this is my opinion. I've looked up a few different resources and there is a general consensus out there for what the anatomy of a good apology is. But um, I think we need to talk about this because it is so hard, you know, I like the church's model for apologies. When we go to the sacrament of reconciliation, yes, we're supposed to examine our conscience and we're meant to be truly sorry. And then we just list our sins as we remember them. That's what the church requires of us. That's what's required of of the sacrament. No ifs, no buts, no passive voice, no explanations, although we're tempted to do that because it's so uncomfortable to say we did something wrong. We want to fill that silence sometimes after the I'm sorry, after the I did this and I'm sorry. We want to explain ourselves, but that's pride that's getting in the way. And ultimately, it's going to hurt your relationships. If you want to really build and heal your relationships with people that you care about, you need to learn to make a good apology. Like I said, I'm working on this too. So this is a good exercise for me to walk through this. So what is the anatomy of a good apology? Well, the first thing you have to do is express that you're sorry, of course. That's simple. I'm sorry. 
you need to say that. However, that's worded for you um, without making excuses, you know, be, being careful about that. But just saying that, that you're sorry, those are such healing words. And asking for forgiveness, such a healing thing to do, so humbling. And yet the other person so very much appreciates that gesture more often than not. And then the second part, you just express your sorrow simply, but also admit that it's your fault. Admit, you know, say something like, I should have known better, you know, offer a little empathy to the other person, put yourself in their shoes and say, you know, especially after you came home from such a long day, I I can't believe I snapped at you like that. I'm so sorry. That must have felt terrible. That's a good apology. You know, you're empathizing with the other person, you're putting yourself in their shoes. Think about how it must have felt. You know, I'm so sorry, I I borrowed your shirt without asking. (laughs) This is going back to my teenage years with my sister. (laughs) That must feel terrible to now have your favorite shirt stained and ruined and you never even gave permission for me to be using it. Okay, that's admitting your fault and empathizing with the person. So you're saying sorry and you're empathizing with them, admitting that it's your fault and that you should have known better. And then going back to the shirt example, offer to make it up somehow. I'll I'll buy you a new shirt. I'll give you the money for the shirt. I'll replace it somehow. But sometimes it's a little more nuanced than that, isn't it? Inside of relationships. It's not so much you can just buy a new shirt and it's going to be better. It's great when it can be that simple, but sometimes you've said something that's really hurt somebody. Sometimes you've neglected to say something or neglected to do something that was really hurtful or offensive to somebody that you care about. So think of a, a, a way that you can begin to make it up to them. Say, you know, after you say you're sorry and admit your fault and empathize with the person, then offer to make it up. Offer a way to make amends somehow, even if it can't be perfectly done. Some things can only be made up over the long haul. You know, if you've violated someone's trust, if you've betrayed somebody, then if you've lied to somebody, the only way they're going to learn, the only way you're truly going to make amends for that is over the long term of showing them that you've changed your ways. But in the short term, you can do things like, how about if I take you out for coffee? Or um, if you've gotten an argument with your spouse and you're apologizing, how about if I I uh, take the kid's carpool tonight instead of you having to do it? Just, you know, it's such a nice gesture to show that you want to make it up somehow. If you can't think of a way to perfectly do it, don't let that stop you. You can even ask the other person. Just asking would be appreciated by the other person. Just ask, how can I begin to make this up to you? Or, you know, say, I know I can't make this right again right now, but what what's something I can do? I want to do something to make it better. Imagine receiving that from somebody that you care about that's hurt you, hearing that message from somebody acknowledging their fault, you know, saying that they're sorry, expressing sorrow and guilt and taking responsibility, but not just that, saying they want to make it up to you and asking how they can begin to do that. Really healing words. Think about how this might bless your relationships. And then finally, the final part, of course it's not required, of a good apology is making a promise for the future, saying that it won't happen again saying a concrete way that you're going to work on that. This is something my husband is really good at, telling me that he's going to work on something. And when he says it, I know he means it. And that is so helpful and healing to me, telling me that he's going to work on that thing that's important to me, that thing that you know, upset me, that he's going he's gonna to work on not doing it again and telling me a concrete way that he's going to do that. So healing, so helpful. I so appreciate that. Just imagine hearing those words from somebody that is apologizing to you and then Flip it and use those words inside of your relationships with other people. 
you know, it doesn't have to be that you're going to go get therapy for something. It doesn't always have to be as dramatic as that. But maybe you're going to, you'd say like, I'm, I'm going to pray about this. Let somebody know that you're going to be praying for, um, to improve in a particular way, that you're going to be talking to some of your friends to help support you in improving some part of your relationship. Or invite the other person to remind you, this is something that works great inside of marriage, I have found. We just know each other so well inside of a marriage that you can recognize cues, even small ones, of somebody heading in the wrong direction. You can recognize the little bits of bad habits that we sometimes have inside of our relationships with each other. And you can help each other overcome those. That, you know, sometimes even in a humorous way, my husband and I will have a code word or something that we remind ourselves like, hey, um, you're slipping into that mood again. Or, hey, you're starting to talk to me in that way that gets me upset and hurts my feelings. That it doesn't have to be super complicated, but maybe enlist the other person's help. Think about how healing that would be inside of your relationship. And so that's it about apologies. First, um, the fake apologies to avoid the I'm sorry if, the I'm sorry but, and the passive voice mistakes were made. And then the parts and pieces of making a good apology that I've walked you through here. Express your sorrow, admit that it's your fault, make an offer to make up for it somehow, and make a promise for the future that it won't happen again. Not every apology is going to be perfect. Not every apology that you give or receive is going to be perfect. But I think it's important to think about these things, to talk about these things, because I truly believe in the power of apologies. I truly believe in the power of asking for forgiveness from one another. That's, you know, we're never more Christ-like than when we're offering forgiveness to another person. And that's the healing stuff that relationships are built on. That's the sort of thing that strengthens relationships, grows relationships, bonds you to one another, whether you're talking about family members or friendships or, you know, even extended family that sometimes we have rifts with. This is the stuff that human beings connect with. This is the ways in which we connect. It involves humility. It truly does. And I know that's why it's important that we talk about this and we we talk about the proper ways to do it. You're not always going to do it perfectly. But guess what? The great thing about family life is that you always have another opportunity to apologize and to practice offering forgiveness and mercy to one another. So get out there this week. This is my challenge to you. Get out there and apologize. Work on your apologies. Say you're sorry for something. I know you are. I know you are. And then work on being gracious and accepting the sorrow and the apologies of other people in your life. Hey, girlfriends, who are we talking to this week? It's time for an interview. This week, I'm sharing a recent conversation that I had with Regina Doman, who's a wife, a mom, an author, an artist, an editor. Um, You probably are familiar with her name most for her children's storybook, Angel in the Waters, which is very popular among Catholic families. But Regina is just a beautiful person. And for those of you who don't know, she does reference it in our interview. Um, She tragically lost her son, um, I guess it was 10 years ago now, when he was four years old in a very tragic car accident. So um, that's what she references in a beautiful, touching, very moving way at the end of this interview. So take a listen. Hello, everyone. I'm excited 
excited to introduce you to my special guest who's here with me on Girlfriends. You may have heard of her. Regina Doman is joining us today. Regina Doman is a Catholic wife, mother, author, and editor. Currently, she runs her own company, Chesterton Press, which publishes and distributes quality Catholic fiction. She's written the fairy tale novels, a series of books for teens and adults that places fairy tales in modern settings with Christian themes interwoven. My kids are big fans of those. Her only picture book is Angel in the Waters, which has sold over 120,000 copies. Regina and her husband, Andrew, live in Virginia's Shenandoah Valley on a farmstead with their children. To the question, how do you manage to get it all done? Regina responds, what makes you think I get it all done? (laughs) I love that, Regina. Welcome to Girlfriends. I'm so glad you're here. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Yeah, I borrowed that from another girlfriend. She always says that. So I was like, that's great. I'm going to use that. It actually is very, it's great to to put in a bio, especially because you do get that question. I don't know about you, but when I see like these women who seem like super accomplished and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I feel so small and they're so great. And I'm like, but the reality is, even though it might be on our bio, we don't get it all done. Right. None of us have it all together. You no. Know? And I think it's so important to, to remind ourselves and each other of that fact. And no better place than in a bio that lists all of your accomplishments, which that's a shortened bio because you do a lot more than that. Um, maybe before we get started with the regular questions, Regina, just yeah. you know, just describe for us like what, what your life and your passion is like. You do so many things. Oh, gosh. Well, my passion is telling stories. You know, uh, mm-hmm. that's always been the way it is ever since I was young. And whether those stories are visual, like in a movie or a comic book or a graphic novel, or if they're verbal, you know, uh, mm-hmm. using words like in a novel, um, I that's what I'm passionate about. Like, you know, basically telling stories and helping other people tell their stories. I love collaborating with other people in that way. And that's what drew me into editing and publishing. Wow. And you, you do so many beautifully creative things for for all ages, but for young adults in particular. I know my kids have really enjoyed your fairy tale series. Um, people definitely are going to want to check out those novels if they're not familiar with it. And Angel in the Waters, I think... I, I mean, it's like a, it's it's like a, a permanent fixture inside of our Catholic culture in the U.S. I think. Um, what's the been the response to that that you've experienced? Wow. Well, I think that's the book that most people know me by, and mm-hmm. I think that people really enjoy it. Um, it's kind of funny just because that was one book I didn't actually publish. Sophia Institute Press, right? You know, were the ones who moved and got that published, which it wouldn't have been published without them. So that's amazing. Wow. But a lot of times they get the feedback, uh, and so. It's a little bit muted, which is kind of funny, but nine times out of 10, when I meet somebody, they're like, oh, we love Angel in the Waters, you know, so I do know that that's how most people know my work. Such a beautiful, positive pro-life story that can appeal to kids of all ages and beautifully illustrated by Ben Hatke. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Ben is my friend and my neighbor, actually. He lives right down the street from me. Oh my gosh. And this past week at uh, San Diego Comic-Con, he just won the Eisner Award, which is the Oscar of comics. He won that for his uh, young reader graphic novel, um, Little Robot. So oh we're very gosh. proud of him. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that is so wonderful. Well, congratulations to Ben. we we'll give him a girlfriend shout out. Yeah. <laughs> we won't have him on because this is just girlfriends here. But yeah. <laughs> we are big fans of Ben and all of his work. So great. <laughs> I'm glad you shared that. All right. Well, let's get to the regular questions. I ask these to everyone who comes on Girlfriends, <laughs> Regina. And I just love hearing the variety of people's answers. So looking forward to our conversation. So to get us started, can you tell us about a time when you really felt like you triumphed? When did you first ever feel a sense of achievement or accomplishment, whether it was in your work or your personal life? 
You know, that's a really hard question. <laughs> See, um, we don't like to talk about our achievements and accomplishments and triumphs, I think. No, we don't. No. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm much more conscious of my failures. Right. I? And that's the next question. So don't worry. We'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. That, in that case, it's like, well, which one do I pick, you know? Um, well, probably my greatest achievement, as it were, it's probably not the first, but probably greatest is that this past April, mm-hmm. we just had our 10th child. Oh, my gosh. Double digits. Yes. We never thought we'd get there. Uh, I've had four miscarriages and, you know, we kind of thought we came to a place where we thought we were done and the Lord wasn't going to give us any more children. And then surprise, surprise, um, we had not one, but two babies uh, these past two years. We had two April babies in quick succession. I had Cora is two and Irene was just born and Fortunately, she just went down right before we began our conversation. So oh, like, yes, she's down. <laughs> so at a time when I'm raising young adults, um, I'm now suddenly back in babyhood. And wow. so it's been kind of exhausting, but also kind of um, just amazing to co- go back to that place, you know, right. to be a nursing mother again and be like, wow, wow you know, all the things that I used to get so anxious about when I was a younger mom. You know what? Compared to like middle school, teenage, adult problems, they're pretty easy. You know? <laughs> totally like, you agree. Know, out of baby. Oh, I can do that. Simple, you know? okay. I know. I know. And it's so funny to me that, you know, and, and, and this is not to belittle any of the things that, that young moms worry about and are anxious about. Yes, cause, absolutely. Um, you know, I was there and I totally yeah. get it. And I think it's a very, it's just a natural part of our kind of evolution as moms, I think, to go through that. Mm-hmm. And I know um, a little little bit from my own experience. I don't have quite the same span that you have of ages. My my youngest is nine and my oldest is 21. But with oh, those... Oldest is 21 too. Well, there right. you That's go. Yeah. 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 So yeah, we, we must have started wow. this motherhood thing the same year together. Um, yeah. yeah. But what I find is that with my, my younger ones that I do, I, I treasure things like I never had an opportunity to do with the older ones, you know, yeah. and I think that you're, you're more laid back about things and it does give you a broader perspective. And I don't want to be one of those moms who's trying to scare the younger moms like, oh, just you wait, the oh, horrible gosh. things that lie ahead because so many wonderful things lie ahead. But it, it does give you a kind of perspective like these really are fleeting moments and small trials that only last for a very short time. Yeah, I find that like I don't mind getting up in the middle of the night. That's like no big deal, you know. Mm-hmm. Um the other thing is I know noticed that before um before I was kind of always like, "Oh, come on, baby, hurry up, grow up and do things." And now I'm like, "Oh, just stay a baby." <laughs> right. And the other thing is I'm a lot less Maybe my kids will argue with me on this, but I'm a lot less willing to surrender the baby. Like before I was always like looking for a chance to like have the baby set with the babysitter so I could escape for a couple hours. Sure. No more. Now the baby comes with me everywhere, you know, because it's like, it's almost like once you get to a certain point, you're like having an infant with you is like being alone. (laughs) You know, know. it's like being alone. It is. You know, the infant is, especially when they sleep all the time. So I'm like, yeah, you know, this attachment parenting whole thing, which I used (laughs) to argue about when I was younger uh it comes pretty naturally when you're older you know you do it at least I'm doing it without even thinking about it wow wow I think that's really inspiring and really encouraging I think especially if any of our girlfriends listeners out there are younger moms who are kind of struggling with that kind of letting go of that perfection letting go of that you know all those that precious sleep at night I remember that was one of my biggest trials was just getting Mm -hmm. up at night and it's it's all that part of dying to yourself and after doing it for 21 plus years here you are and some parts of it are coming more naturally and that's such a gift it is a gift can you still hear me by the way yes 
Yeah, okay, I hear you good. perfectly. Awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I love that triumph, a baby triumph in, in your later mother in years. I mean, yeah. I was <laughs> like, yes, I can do this. Awesome. <laughs> My sister, who also has 10, um, in those last few pregnancies, she would call me up and be like, so happy to tell me that she was expecting and then say, you know what? It's like God voted for me one more time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what a sweet way to look at it. You know, yeah. not that God's not voting for women who aren't having babies in their later years, but right. it's such a nice little boost that, you know, God wanted to give you this extra thing and it's sweet. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Well, moving on, because you said you had mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get to the mistakes. Can you tell us, Regina, about a mistake you once made? It could be a professional one. We've heard some hilarious ones or personally. And what did you learn from that? Oh, gosh. I think like, I feel like that was the primary way that God mentored me Mm -hmm. was through mistakes because I have this habit, I feel like, of when I make a mistake, I make, like, just these huge mistakes. Like, these just <laughs> you don't, you go big <laughs> arrogance or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, like when I look bad, I look really, really bad. Uh, and that's always how it's been. I, 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 the, the ones that are still the most painful to me are the ones I made when I was first starting out, you know, mm-hmm. as, like, a young um, – Oh, I don't know what you would call it, young storyteller or director or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I made some major ones, major faux pas among my professors when I was at Franciscan. Uh, you know, I'm still embarrassed about, even though like the professors themselves probably have long ago forgiven me. You know? Right, right. Um, but it just always seemed like I was the type of person who I'd like just open my mouth in a meeting or in a phone conversation and just say the stupidest things. Mm-hmm. And then and everybody, like everything would just kind of go silent. And I would be like... <laughs> What? Did that not sound like I meant it to sound like funny? <laughs> oh, uh, I guess I look like a total jerk now, you know? Oh, boy. And I, I sometimes like think about that because I just, um, I don't know. You know, I, I think I just, I, I'm cursed with like what sounds like a voice of authority. Mm-hmm. Like I feel, I, I feel like it's a blessing and a curse. I'm the oldest child. Right. So I tend to speak in like very definitive statements as though I know this, I've researched, I've backed it up, but actually I'm just saying it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just because that's how I talk. I talk right. like that. And um, that can get you in trouble, especially like, you know, cause I, I tend to have, when I don't think about it, I tend to talk as though I'm ordering people. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Sure. And yeah. that's, um, that just causes a lot of problems that, you know, I could have spared myself easily by just considering how I talk, you know? <laughs> so I'm not like really mentioning anything specific. No, but I that's okay. Specific, no, but- if you think of something, that's fine. But um, I, I love that you shared <laughs> that it's your mouth that got you in trouble because I think that's a pretty common experience that... Oh, yeah. And e- email and the mouth extends to email as well, too. I think we've all had that thing where we've sent the emails <laughs> that, you know, you're just like, oh, why did I send that? Whoops. Oh, my gosh. I know. I don't want to deal with my company anymore. Was it because of something I said? Oh, did I really type that and send that to them? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, there's so much opportunity for humiliation yeah. through technology um, and oh, very, God. you know, humbling things. You know, I just was listening to the Jennifer Fulweiler show. I was listening to the uh. podcast of her show, and she shared how she she got an email from an acquaintance describing a situation and had snarky comments to make about it that she thought she forwarded to her husband, but oh, it no. actually actually had hit reply and I mean I just I mean I laughed and and cried hearing that because I think we can all relate that you know it's kind of that moment where um you're either like you say something and you're listening to silence or like it's like God shows you who you are like oh Mm -hmm. I'm that person who said that you know like and I never would have wanted that person to know I'm that kind of person so really Mm -hmm. 
very humbling, the kinds of verbal mistakes we make, whether it's in person or through technology. It's totally true. It's very true. And I mean, the good thing about it is because I feel like I made a lot of those mistakes when I was younger, I like to think now I do feel older and wiser. At least I'm a little he- more hesitant to speak up and, mm-hmm. you know, say things and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And I uh, think like one of the things like you were just describing that you you know you speak in a, you know, with authority that yeah. just learning that about yourself, learning, you know, what your, what your, your potential pitfalls are. And I find that that's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of funny because I remember one thing that comes to mind very clearly, maybe this is why I wrote young adult fiction because some of my college memories are still so clear to me. Mm-hmm. One time we were, I was going to Franciscan and they were famous for doing all sorts of great interpersonal exercises that I talked to people like Kristen and TAC mm-hmm. and they're like, that's like really gnarly crunchy. You mean you <laughs> that as a matter of course, it's like, yeah, didn't you guys? <laughs> One of them was basically noticing how people respond to you. We had this exercise where we all put, uh, and it was some sort of leadership retreat. I can't mm-hmm. remember exactly what it was. We all had to like put something on our forehead that we couldn't read ourselves, but everybody else could read. Yes. And then we had to treat people according to what the label was on their forehead. Oh. Like one person had a label that said, nothing I say makes sense or everything I say is funny or I, I'm always making a joke or everything I say is stupid. Just ignore me. Oh, my gosh. And, and you know, it was it was very it was very humbling. Exercise. Well, basically, we went through it and stuff like that. And yeah. I thought like we were we, basically they gave us a problem to solve. You know, we were solving the problem or whatever. And I thought we did a great job. And then I looked at what was written on my forehead and it was whatever I say is the voice of God. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, no wonder I felt like I accomplished everything. You know what I mean? I was God for a moment. <laughs> exactly. And it was one of the most humbling and embarrassing things of my entire life. And I was like, but then I, because I realized that was how people reacted to me a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I actually saw the way that that was how. And so I started to have to ask myself, why, why do people, why do I get that reaction from right. people? Right. Right. Oh, so wow. I was like, it was, it was good though, because I wanted to learn to be a more listening person and a more, you know, kinder person. I don't want to just go around getting, having my own way all the time. Sure. Do you know what I mean? I don't feel you grow as a person. I don't feel you grow uh, as a collaborator mm-hmm. when everything you say is just the way it's got to be. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. I totally so, agree. Um, yeah. And I mean, I think that that's useful to know for those among, no, those women among us, you know, my fellow sisters who sometimes feel disempowered, who mm-hmm. feel like no one listens to them, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or feel like that they can't always get their word in edgewise, you know, that it, it's also a cross when people listen to you too much, <laughs> you know? True, and, very and, true. And sometimes if you are overlooked a lot of times, like you can kind of get a better sense of things, you know, there, there's always a gift. Mm-hmm. There's always a gift, you know, and there's always a struggle. So, right. Um, yeah. So, oh. yeah, I mean, maybe that sounds hardly <laughs> esoteric. um, (laughs) No, I love it. I mean, I think it's a very astute observation about human behavior and the different kind of temperaments we have and how each one is is a gift and a burden at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. It's really about knowing yourself. Yeah. I love that. It's true because I don't think any of us want to be known as the bossy person. No. No. Always gets their way or has to be bowed to or else bad things happen. Right. And, you know, and like you said, personally, for your personal formation, like when you were describing like how, you know, getting your way or people just say, okay, when you when you say something, it reminded me of when I went to a Justin Bieber concert years ago with my daughter and how you know, that, that kid just walks out on the stage and drinks out of a bottle of water and everybody's fainting and screaming and they can't believe how awesome he is drinking out of this bottle of water on the stage. And I was like, 
this poor child has zero chance of, of becoming a normal person because yeah. he's walking through his life from the time as a very young boy, just everyone telling him how incredibly awesome he is and agreeing to everything he might ever want. And yeah, sad. Yeah, it's, ter- it's, it's a very, it's a terrible cross. I mean, well, it's well known that, you know, if you're well, uh, if you become a celebrity when you're, or a person of notice, when you're a young child, mm-hmm. you have it basically really lowers your chance of becoming a functional, normal, loving and happy adult, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, I, and, and I'm not saying that because I mean, I'm sure there's plenty. Then you like, listen to like, you hear about the child stars who just kind of vanished. Right. I find out they actually went on to live really normal lives. <laughs> they so got out of it. Either <laughs> there's some Shirley Temple or some wonderful person mm-hmm. who went on to do great things after their childhood started. You know what I mean? Right. We're all individuals, but generally speaking, it's a very perilous thing to be handed the keys to power when you're a young person, right. you know, very few of us can handle that. Well, I know I couldn't have. Right. I know. And now here you are the Justin Bieber of Catholic fiction. <laughs> <laughs> I'll accept that label on all humility. <laughs> I love it. Okay. All right. We've got time for one more question before we get to your lightning round, Regina. Um, can you share with us what's the best advice you ever received and who gave it to you and how do you try to implement it? Oh man. I've been really lucky. I've gotten tons of, you know, good advice. Yeah, you've gotten uh, awesome family. Yes, I definitely have. Man, <laughs> tough one. I can- <laughs> tough one. That is a tough one because there's a lot of there's a lot of things I could say. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you can just well, pick one. Just pick one. <laughs> totally blank. That's okay. You can take your time. <laughs> Well, you know what? I think I will stick with one that I kind of, again, it's kind of a sort of gnarly, crunchy thing that I learned at Steubenville. Uh-huh. Um, when I was there, Father Mike Scanlon was still, you know, president. Mm-hmm. And one of his favorite songs, which was played all the time, it's kind of funny because they used to play it all the time. And then once he left, they didn't play it. And they were like, oh, that was only because it was his favorite song. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and it was a song. Remember that horrible hippie movie, Brother, Son, Sister Moon? Yes. Yes. Remember that? We all, the ch- children of the seventies remember having to watch that religious ed. Yes. To watch the religious ed. I yeah, did. of course. Um, but there was this song there um, called, if you want your dream to be, uh-huh. you know, which was like the signature song from it. Mm-hmm. And it's not like a tremendous song, but one of the things that uh, there, there's actually two pieces of good advice there, which I actually have drawn upon. And one is if you want your dream to be, take your time, go slowly, do few things, but do them well. And I am a multitasker by nature. I mm-hmm. love having 200 irons in the fire. I love having multiple projects. I'm projects. I'm very sanguine. Mm-hmm. And so to those words were kind of like against my temperament. It's against my temperament to take my time and go slowly. Sure. And it's against my temperament to do few things and do them well. Both of them, incidentally, are my husband's mottos. <laughs> <laughs> he just said that this morning. He was like his grandfather always used to tell him. No one ever has time to do it right the first time, but they've always got time to do it over. Oh, my gosh. I love that. I'm like, that's so true. I never have time to do things right the first time, but, you know, when they don't work out because I was sloppy, I sure find the time to do it over, don't I? So thinking about that and, you know, that's it's a good it's it's good advice in that way. It's also good advice for the spiritual life as well, Um, just because I remember, I think. Yeah, just Robert Barron. I just, Father Robert Barron or Bishop Robert Barron. I just read his uh, little thing he wrote in Magnificat about Mary and Martha. Well, he said that how the difference between Martha and Mary is that Martha 
is worried and concerned about many things, whereas Mary has chosen the one thing that is necessary. And the very definition of simplicity is that it's one thing, you know, like something is simple when it is all one substance. And Mary, what Jesus was complimenting Mary on is that she had done the one thing and, you know, she had chosen that and he wasn't going to take it away from her. Whereas Martha had picked all these many things that she couldn't really do. And so she was worried and anxious. And so it was almost like Christ is saying, like, if you choose to do one thing and do it well, you know, and if that one thing you've chosen is him, he's going to help you accomplish that. Oh, I think that's such good advice, especially for women in particular, to hear that Mm -hmm. reminder, because we all are tempted in that way to do many things. (laughs) There's so many good things to do. And yet we really are called to focus on the one thing. Yeah. Yeah. So important. Yeah. That's true. And in the end, even that's all what parenting is about. I remember telling that to a young mom. She said, well, what's the best advice for being a parent? And I'm like, I don't consider myself a really great parent, but I don't know if anybody considers themselves. No, I don't think we ever do. (laughs) But I just said the one thing in the end, I said, it is all about character formation. It Mm -hmm. is really about nothing else but character formation. It's not about keeping them, you know, it's not so much about keeping them fed or keeping them clothed or getting them into the right schools or getting them right. It's all about the character. You know, Mm -hmm. it really, really is. Yeah. And that's what's so humbling because then when you see your children's character, you're like, uh, yeah. <laughs> some of it's I mean, not my, perfect yeah my, well my my basically it's like my kids are great mm-hmm. but I see the flaws and I'm like you know what and sometimes I see the flaws and I'm like you know what that's something that I still struggle with or that's something I didn't really push them to do right you know and no, I those, agree. that's where my I see my gaps you mm-hmm. know I know and kids are very very helpful mirrors sometimes yeah it's it's a good thing to remember especially when you're confronted with the parent failures, you know, in parenting, mm-hmm. you know, my kid didn't do this. They didn't get into that school. They didn't, you know, date that one person. They didn't get picked for this one thing. And then just say, well, you know, are they still, but are they a good person? Right. You know? Right. I um, think that's one of the most humbling things I've realized as a parent was that, oh, it's actually, this isn't like a little project that I'm working on that I'm going to get a grade on at the end of the day. Like, yeah. you know, that all these exterior accomplishments and things that we tend to focus on trying to be the perfect parent or raise the perfect child. It's like, ultimately, none of that matters. Like, are they a good person? Then, you know, none of the rest of it matters. Yeah, it's true. And, and you know, the, the other thing that I don't know if this is, if this is like probably self-advice. It's advice I give myself. I don't know if anybody... It's based on something from St. Francis of Assisi's followers, but it's basically advice I give myself all the time. Right. Which is that like so often when it comes to our children, you know, I lost a child in a car accident. That was, it was a great tragedy. Mm-hmm. So like, of course, that already just kind of stoked my natural paranoia. Like, I think every parent can relate to that. Once you've lost one child, like yeah. how do you not be paranoid all day long about all the other ones? Right. Um, and I mean, it's almost a joke with my kids now, how, how paranoid I am. Like I'm absolutely paranoid about everything. For sure. Uh, my mom is like, well, you always had a good imagination. And so, and I do write very scary books sometimes. So it's very easy for me to imagine all the bad things that could happen to my child or oh, to those gosh. I love. Right. Right. Um, so this is a piece of advice I got from one of the St. Bernard, who was a follower of St. Francis. And he said, you know, we spend so much time worrying about things that actually really can't hurt us. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, we worry about robbers, we worry about fire, we worry about drowning, we worry about disease. Mm-hmm. He's like, but you know, in the end, we're in the hands of our Heavenly Father. And none of that, if we're in the hands of our Heavenly Father, none of that can really hurt us. Right. It's like, the one thing that can hurt us is ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because we can send ourselves to hell from our actions. 
Right. But we yet we don't spend any time at all worrying about ourselves, do we? <laughs> no, we're worried like, about what? all that other stuff. Right. And he's like, so isn't that funny that we don't really spend any time at all worrying about our own choices? Wow. So the prayer I kind of take from that, and I'll pass this on to any mom who's, you know, struggles with fear the way I do, yeah. just in case it's helpful. It's like, you know, I never ask God to keep my children safe. I don't ask them to make them happy or healthy or rich or successful. I only ask them, I only ask him to fill them with a great love for himself. Um, because, sorry, I'm no, totally crying. It's Try okay. not to cry. <laughs> no, no, this is girlfriends. We do that here. <laughs> I only ask them to fill them with a great love for himself. Mm-hmm. Because if they do that, they will be happy. And right. nothing that happens to them will ever truly affect them. Wow. That's beautiful. So... Right now, um, my oldest son is down going to a sales convention in Georgia, Uh which is a really exciting thing for him as a 21-year-old. And I'm praying that he'll be safe, and I'm praying that he'll be successful. But more than that, I'm just praying that he stays holy. Right. You know? Absolutely. And that he loves God with his whole heart. So that's the most important thing. I have to keep telling myself when I'm tempted to worry about him, you know, I'm tempted to worry about his safety and, you know, that he gets on the right bus and all those other little things we moms worry about. Right. Right. So. An important, beautiful (laughs) reminder. Well, (laughs) see, the Holy Spirit is alive and well here at Girlfriends. (laughs) Leads us to the conversations that he wants us to have. And I just think that that that's such a powerful message for moms of all backgrounds to know, because as you just described, you never do stop worrying, you know, you never do stop that, like fear, that anxiety about your children's welfare. And it's so important to be reminded of what ultimately matters, what ultimately we need to be concerning ourselves with. And and actually, in a way, it's very relieving of a burden, because you only have to worry about that one thing. That's what you need to be praying about, you know, not, not, oh, I forgot to pray that he would, you know, not forget his lines in the play or whatever it is, you know, like, (laughs) it's gonna be okay. You know, so it's so important to remember that. And and do you have that prayer written down somewhere that we could um, link to and share with um, the listeners? Oh, I don't, but I could. Okay, we'll we'll make it happen because okay. I think it's really important that um, we can share that because it's it's such a powerful, important reminder. And from from the heart of a mom who's experienced tragedy and loss and continues to you know struggle with that on a daily basis, I think it's such a powerful message and reminder to every one of us. Yeah, thank you. And you know, I'll mention Joshua's anniversary. My son's anniversary was this past year it just was this it's actually this month his birthday was just this past week he would have been 15 oh, so it's his he died when he was almost five so it was right. 10 years uh, yeah so, and I think of him often Regina because I my son Stephen is that almost exactly that same age he'll be 15 next month and oh my gosh I just remember at the time yeah. you know having having felt such a connection with you at the at the time mm-hmm. when that happened and just such such a powerful story and such a, a beautiful beautiful testimony to you know the 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 faith and you know your your steadfastness in your faith through all of that is just so inspiring to me. Gosh, thank you. Well, you know it's 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 all God. I have no way to explain it really. Right. You know, but that ultimately is the ultimate explanation. <laughs> yes, it's true. It's true. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. You know, it doesn't. Absolutely. Well, now that I've got tears streaming down my face. Oh my god. I- <laughs> Sorry. We, we can edit this. Yeah. <laughs> And I won't 
either because it's all real and I love it. And I, I really appreciate how open and, and honest you've been with us. Um, but I want to end with something a little more fun, our lightning round, which, um, you know, just 60 seconds of some fast, fun questions where we can okay. learn a little bit more about you. So if you're ready, here we okay. go. It's Regina Doman's lightning round on the Girlfriends podcast. Regina, what is the last book you read? And was it thumbs up or thumbs down? Oh, gosh. The last book I read, this total spoiler, it was After the Flood. Okay. Uh, and it was by Bill Cooper, M.A. It's a British book. I give it a thumbs up because it was research that I was doing for the novel I'm working on right now. Nice. Uh, fundamentalist Protestant book, you know, little anti-Catholic in places, but I was after some very specific information. And for that, it was a score. Oh, nice. Uh, I also actually, though, and they said that was cool, but the night before that, I actually finished a great novel by Stephanie Lanzen called The Well. Okay. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. You should totally have her on uh, the Girlfriends podcast because she is a Catholic wife and mother, and she has done three novels with Bethany House based on biblical characters. I met her at CMN last year, and I just finished The Well, which is a story about the woman at the well in Samaria. You Uh know? Yeah, right. There's The Well, The Tomb, and The Thief, and they're both all based on characters that, you know, encounter Christ. And this one was a page turner. Um, oh, man. It was good. I cried. Oh, well, good. I'm going to so, look that up and look her up. That sounds great. That, it was and, a great summer read. And I'd love to make other readers aware of it because I think she's kind of got lost in the slew of biblical fiction that's been published in the last couple of years. But right. this one was actually, like I said, done by a fellow Catholic mom and really amazing. So. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, we went way over the minute of questions in the lightning yes, round. No, no, it's good. It's good. I should have known better than to ask a bibliophile like you a quick question about <laughs> books. I finished another book, too, but, oh, well, that's a for finishing books. It was it's just one of those days where I clear out the per- bookshelf. But. Oh, perfect. Well, good. Yeah. Now we've got some book recommendations, too, which we always love. But, oh, we um, definitely recommend the Stephanie Lansom. The other one was a technical book, so I'm not okay. sure it would... Um, how, how, unless people are specifically interested in Protestant fundamentalist <laughs> what happened after the flood. Which, there may be uh, some nerds out there, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it was really helpful for me. It's just, I have a friend who's been finding uh, weird little bits of research for this novel I'm writing, and she passed me on those two books. Oh. Teresa Squire did, so I'm really grateful to that. Love it. Okay, yeah. well, I'm going to look that up, and we can share the links in the show notes if anybody else is interested in checking that out. Sounds like a great series of books to check out. So, yeah, yeah, I've really enjoyed talking with you, Regina. Before we have to say goodbye, can you, you know, tell us what you're working on now? You're always, like you said, you have many irons in the fire. What are you excited oh, about right now? Well, I've been working on a biblical trilogy of my own for some time, and that's what I've been working on this summer. Um, so, yeah, right now I borrowed a page from Susie Lloyd and Michelle Buckman, who are other Catholic writer moms. They yeah. get up at four in the morning and, you know, do their novels before the emails come in or all sure. the, and the phone starts ringing and the kids get up. So I have been doing that, been asking for prayers to do that. That's been really amazing. Uh, it's been very productive. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't really say very much about the trilogy because I'm hoping to take it to, like, a big publisher, et cetera. Ooh, exciting. Um, but it's been very helpful. Um, to, and it's been really blessed to be working on it so early in the morning. Um, you know, it's just nice and quiet and yeah. I can't see the sunrise from where I'm working, but I can see the light coming into the world and it's pretty cool. Wow. So are you doing that every day? Uh, yes, oh, not, well, not every day. Uh, okay. every, I've been doing, I think the schedule is going to be two days, four days a week. Okay. So I did it on Monday and Tuesday and then I have to sleep on Wednesday, which mm-hmm. is what Michelle Buckman does, I think. Okay. And so I did it 
Thursday and I did it Friday. So wow, this yeah, is so inspiring. Cool. I think you know, even if it's not writing that you're working on, that that's you know, it costs you a little sleep. <laughs> but if you have a goal in mind, you can so get up earlier and get oh, it done. Yeah. It doesn't wipe me out the way that staying up late does. Because staying up late does wipe me out the next day, and mm-hmm. I just can't do that. You know, when you have sure when you're a mom, when you have so many little kids around, you can't like you know, be dragging when you're at the wheel or, you know, trying to talk to your kids and stuff like that. Right. But if I get up early, I find that that works. So it's weird. Good for you. And looking forward to the fruit of that that labor. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much, Regina. We've laughed and we've cried. And and I think we've shared a lot of goodness with the listeners here at Girlfriends. So thank you so much for coming on. But more importantly, thanks for everything that you do, all the work that you do. It's such a joy and an inspiration to see all that you do for young people in the church and um, for people of all ages, really, the the inspiring creativity that you produce. It's just really, really a beautiful testimony to the goodness of God. Thank you so much, Danielle. It's those very kind words. Thank you. God bless you. Thanks for coming on. Yes, God bless you too. So Regina was kind enough to send me the links to all the books that she mentioned, as well as a link to her son's memorial page, if you want to read more about that, and the the brief prayer that she shared. So you can check all of that out in the show notes at daniellebean.com. So before we have to finish up here, I want to share just a little bit of feedback that I got this past week from Anne-Marie. Hi, Danielle. This is Anne-Marie. I just listened to your episode with Rose Sweet, and I just wanted to call and tell you how much I really enjoyed it. I'm used to hearing her on Catholic Answers Live, so it was fun to hear a little bit more about her personally as opposed to her just um, you know, answering questions. That was really great. I enjoyed this episode talking about um, finding peace in the midst of the chaos. I have a a six and a half year old, a four year old, and a four month old little girl, and we're getting ready to start another year of homeschooling, so we're kind of knee deep in the crazy right now. Um, I was just really inspired by, you know, just your your ideas of slowing down and taking a deep breath. The, The other day, I had just gotten the baby down for a nap, and then I fixed everybody lunch, and then I was so tired, and the baby woke up. And I was like, no, we can't do this. Like, you need to go to sleep. And then I was just standing there looking at her going, I need to go to sleep. And so I just laid down with my sweet little girl, and we took a nap for a long time. And once we woke up, you know, I was totally refreshed, and I felt so much better and just not overwhelmed at all. So it was a it was a good reminder just to um, to not get sucked in to to the crazy and, and, and to, to take a deep breath and just relax about it. So thank you. You're doing a great job with your podcast. I did Monipotent with my parish and absolutely loved it. And I enjoy everything that you do. So thank you so much. Thank you, Anne-Marie, for sending that voice feedback and for sharing that sweet story, because I think it's a good reminder to all of us that we do need to take that pause. And I can remember so clearly not being ready for the baby to get up, not being ready for the baby to give up naps, not being ready for the baby to have a later bedtime. Those things are important to us. And so I can really relate to what you shared there with um, the baby getting up. But then your solution was perfect. And I think sometimes the obvious answer is the simple one that's staring us right in the face. Just take that time out, take that time to rest, spend that time with your baby, and you're both going to feel better afterwards. So thank you for that. And thank you for leaving the voice feedback. If you would like to leave voice feedback like Anne-Marie did, 
did, you can go to daniellebean.com and click the tab in the sidebar that says leave voice feedback. It's super easy. It takes you to this website called SpeakPipe. You don't need any special equipment. You can record right from your computer or right from your phone. Or if you're fancy and you want to record your own MP3 on your phone and send it to me, I'd love to hear from you that way. I just would love to add your voice to the podcast. Another way that you can do it that I've mentioned before is through Voxer, if you have that app on your phone. Um, if you don't, you can check it out. There's a link to Voxer in the show notes at daniellebean.com. But then good old-fashioned email works too. I've got a few emails from folks that I'm going to share next week uh, because I don't want to go over time here. But thank you, everybody, for all the feedback that you've given me for the iTunes reviews, for the links on Facebook and Twitter. It really is very encouraging. And I'm glad to know that I'm not just sending this message out into the void that people are actually listening to and appreciating the podcast. Um, Another way that people have shown their appreciation is through supporting it through Patreon. You can go to patreon.com forward slash girlfriends and find out all the details about how you can make a small financial commitment as little as a dollar per episode to support the production of this podcast and help defray some of the costs that I incur in putting it out. So you can get all of those details again at patreon.com forward slash girlfriends. Thank you so much for all of your support. And thank you also for being here, for showing up for another week. I am so grateful for your presence here. I'm grateful for all the ways that you share what's going on in your life. And I really do pray for everybody who listens to this podcast every week. So you're very close in my heart throughout the week. Thank you for being here. And until next time, I hope you'll enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a Danielle Bean production. Know your worth. Find your joy.